Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Congress, of course, is racing towards another big deadline for really a self-imposed deadline. President Biden's uh, big social spending bill, also known as Build Back Better. And in order to get it passed, Democrats have to get the Senate parliamentarian to sign off on a number of things within that. Uh, We're going to hear a lot about the parliamentarian over the next uh, 20, eh, probably 48 to 72 hours. And so what is the parliamentarian? What does that role really contain? James Walner, our friend from R Street Institute, joins us to break down who the parliamentarian is and why she is going to play a critical role in a lot of what is and is not in this bill. James, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Look, Christmas is coming early. If we get to talk about the parliamentarian and Senate <laughs> rules, this is stuff that I just love. And I think it's absolutely critical for your listeners to love it as well. They they do. And that's why we, you know, as we were planning the day, it was like, you know what? This is a James Walner day because we need to talk parliamentarian. Uh, most most people, when they hear parliamentarian, you know, they think of maybe somebody in a white wig, uh, you know, old school uh, but tell us, what is the role of the parliamentarian? Tell us about the current parliamentarian. She has a, quite a story. Absolutely. And I, I first want to start off by saying that Elizabeth McDonough, who is uh, the first uh, female woman uh, parliamentarian that the Senate has had, she was recently diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. And so uh, I know a number of your listeners are probably cancer survivors. And I think it's absolutely critical that we keep her in our thoughts and prayers, regardless of what we may think about her particular advice at any given point in time Uh, with regard to the actual parliamentarian the position that elizabeth mcdonough occupies right now is a staff position in the united states senate she's essentially a clerk it dates to about the 1930s and the reason why in a very short succinct um, definition the reason why we have it in the senate is because you have senate rules but they're generally pretty vague and the senate likes to do things um to kind of fill in the gaps where those rules are vague, where they don't speak to particular parliamentary circumstances. And when they encounter those, they look to the past and they say, well, what did we do when this situation arose in the past? And that's why in in the 1930s, Charles Watkins was hired or promoted, I should say, to be the first parliamentarian to keep track of all of those records and to help senators understand what happened in the past. That's their job. That's essentially what they do. Wow. So, uh, and I appreciate you pointing out that uh, Elizabeth McDonough is uh, in the midst of her cancer and she is still working 100 miles an hour, uh, which is not uh, surprising to anyone who knows her. Uh, and she's going to play just this really vital role uh, in this process. Again, looking at the precedent, looking at what's in and what's out. Uh, so let's talk about what will happen this week. Uh, we, we often refer to this as sort of the uh, parliamentarian and the birdbath. Uh, describe that for us. So 
the parliamentarian's role is particularly large in this uh, budget process that we have called reconciliation, which is a special fast track process for a unique kind of legislation, budget related legislation, to get around a filibuster in the Senate. And the and, uh, Democrats and Republicans alike have used it increasingly as it's become harder and harder to get to 60 votes to otherwise end the filibuster and move to a final vote on a bill. And in the reconciliation process, the parliamentarian plays a very large role because there's a certain rule called the Byrd Rule, which is in essence a rule that is based on precedent. Mm-hmm. And as the as the official who keeps track of all those precedents and notes, the senators go to the parliamentarian and they ask, is this going to comply with the Byrd Rule or not? And the parliamentarian then will look at her notes, look to past debates, and then give them an advisory opinion. And that's essentially what her role is in this. But now senators, for reasons that are unrelated to the parliamentarian per se, have increasingly spoken about the position in such a way as to suggest that somehow she has independent authority and power to make these calls on her own. And I would just point out Mm -hmm. to your listeners that that is unconstitutional under Article 1, Section 5, Clause 2 of the Constitution, which gives only the United States Senate the authority, not its staff not its parliamentarian, but senators, the authority to decide what rules they're going to have. Wow. And that is uh, that is an important thing. Uh, she's going to raise things. She's going to give advice. Uh, and she will – my understanding is she's uh, she'll meet with uh, the Democrats on a host of things, the Republicans on a host of things, and they'll sort of have uh, everyone together uh, to kind of ferret out a little bit uh, where things seem to be, what uh, should be allowed under the rules or under the precedent, and uh, and what should not. That's right. And the birdbath, which is a you know just a great name, you know, it's very it's highly unoriginal. <laughs> it's because uh, the bird rule itself is related to, is the namesake of the bird rule is is the former senator Robert Bird from West Virginia, and he's the one who wrote the rule, and that's why we call it the bird rule. But we have this birdbath process where committee staff and other staff from both sides come together and they argue that things should or should not be included in the Byrd rule or in that reconciliation bill. And then in the end, what happens is that people generally agree with the parliamentarian, even if they disagree to the beginning, and then they have an amendment that strikes all of these offensive provisions that's in the underlying bill. But again, that's the Senate's call. It's not the parliamentarian's call as to what ultimately it can include under the Byrd rule. And it can change its precedents. It can change its precedents whenever it wants, and doing so isn't violating the Senate's rules. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Uh, James, we're going to have you back to continue this conversation as we move uh, deeper into this process this week and see what the parliamentarian says, uh, what uh, what she thinks should be in or isn't, uh, and then whether those members of the Senate actually abide by those recommendations or that information that's uh, brought forward and then how that all plays out in terms of uh, whether or not there will actually be a vote on this bill before we get to the Christmas break and the holiday break. Uh, for members of Congress. Uh, anything else really quickly that we should be watching for? Well, right now, I think it really comes down to what uh, the senators are saying. And just to remember, look, they ultimately are the ones who have the power to decide. And mm-hmm. it's they're going to blame or praise the parliamentarian over the next couple of days and weeks. But it's not her fault. Yes. It's not her praise. It's their decision because you get to vote for a senator, you don't get to vote for the parliamentarian. 
That is very important. And we do wish her well in her uh, cancer fight and uh, thoughts and prayers going there to uh, Elizabeth McDonough in the Senate, the parliamentarian. James Walner from R Street, uh, always appreciate your insight. We're going to have you back because uh, there's a lot more to come on this one. No, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll step aside for a quick bottom-of-the-hour break. Coming up, Utah State University President Noelle Cockett joins us to discuss some things she's working with, some uh, new institute there at Utah State University, and some very important things relating to the environment, air, and water here in the West. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.